Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. In celebrating the upcoming 4th of July weekend, Amy and I will be discussing Chicken Soup's latest edition, The Spirit of America. It is a collection of 101 stories of what makes America great. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be talking about this topic as we head into the 4th of July weekend. Yes, I am so excited. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me to talk about the Spirit of America. It is an awesome collection. I love the stories in them. There's so many wonderful stories. Several of them really got to me. It rekindled wonderful memories for me. As you know, I'm a naturalized citizen now, and it really connects to me at a very personal level. So congratulations. Well, thanks. You know, when I decided to do this book about a year and a half ago, I knew that we would need some chicken soup for America's soul this year because mm-hmm. negative negativity always runs rampant during <laughs> presidential election years. But yes. I didn't know that it would be as bad as it has become with all this focus on what divides us instead of what unites mm-hmm. us. And so this book is about what unites us as Americans. We're all very passionate about mm-hmm. the direction we mm-hmm. think the country should go in, but we're that passionate because we all really care. And so mm-hmm. I'm making that point. We all love our country. We all really care. So let's focus mm-hmm. on that when we're fighting over exactly what should happen next. <laughs> I agree with that. I love the fact that you partnered with the Bob Woodruff Foundation. So, so please tell us a little bit about that. So I partnered with them one other time. A couple of years ago, we did a book called um, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Recovering from Traumatic Brain Injuries. Mm-hmm. And Lee Woodruff wrote the foreword for that book because her husband, Bob, of course, is the newscaster who got a traumatic brain injury when he was um, the victim of an IED in Iraq when he was embedded with the Army. And so we gave royalties from that book to the Bob Woodruff Foundation, and I wanted to provide more support for the foundation, and I thought this book would be great. And she wrote a wonderful foreword for the book um, Mm -hmm. about her husband, but about America in general and patriotism in general. So the Bob Woodruff Foundation does great work. They support veterans of the more recent wars, like Vietnam War um, and all of the subsequent ones, and um, they're very focused on not only the visible wounds of war, but the invisible wounds of war, like TBIs, like PTSD. So mm-hmm. we're really happy that we can provide them with some financial support that they will pass on for the programs that they support. It's a wonderful deal that you guys are doing, and I really like Lee's forward. If you could just tell us a little bit more about that, the gist of it, because it's just a wonderful story that she wrote in there. Yeah, she wrote about the fact that um, her her family was actually living overseas when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And so they came back um, and she said they were very nervous about coming back to America and you know, they had watched everything on TV in London, but it wasn't the same as being here. And then months later, they were finally back in the U.S., and the first thing that she noticed was all the flags everywhere, American flags everywhere, on highways, um, on homes, on fences, everywhere. And it just made her so proud to see that this unity that we all experienced after 9-11 and then she talks about how he indeed did go to Iraq, and she goes on in the foreword to talk about how grateful she and her family are to the military because after her husband Bob suffered his injury in Iraq, the military was amazing. The way that their medics you know, swooped in, the way that they mm-hmm. airlifted him to Germany, the incredibly good medical care that he got that led to the most positive 
possible outcome. And so they're they're very passionate about supporting the military ever since. And um, and that passion led them to to create their foundation. And that passion is shared by Chicken Soup for the Soul and our support for that foundation. I think people don't really understand if you don't get the whole picture. Her story, her forward in the book walks us through the process from just about everything, from looking at America from the outside, because they were on the outside, basically. They were not here in the United States when 9-11 happened. And the fact that they talk about the military, I think you know a lot of times we look at the military as, uh, for lack of a better term here, for some of us, we look at it as a machine of war, but then there's a lot of other things, components that goes with that uh, military that makes us whole as a country. We help a lot of people, of course, in this case, certainly, you know, our fellow Americans, but there are a lot of things that the military do out there that we really don't understand and don't realize, I guess, more so than understand. So I'm really glad that we she talked a little bit about, you know, a little bit about everything and and how the world perceives America from that perspective. Why is it important to remind us what America is all about and what the country stands for? I think we live in the greatest country on earth, and those of us who were born here as Americans are very lucky. You worked so hard to become an American, and most of the people listening today, we just got this for free. You know, it was just handed to us mm-hmm. when we were born. Hey, welcome to the world. Yeah. You are already an American. You're a very lucky person. But I think that reading this book, it helped to remind me how lucky I am and what a great country we are. We're so huge and yet so unified. And it's very important to read these stories this year when all you hear is about how terrible everything is. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a great book for younger people to read also because they're seeing yeah. all the social media and everything, and they need to put this in perspective and understand how lucky they are, you know, teenagers, millennials. Right. They need to understand right. how lucky they are to be here. I mean, we have stories in this book from millennials talking about mm-hmm. how hard they work to become citizens, and that's a very mm-hmm. good perspective for us privileged Americans to have and to be grateful right. for. Right. So true. One of the things that I really enjoyed when I first came to the United States was having the opportunity as I sort of assimilated myself with the country, with the culture, and so forth. When I started working, I had the opportunity to be in Washington, D.C., to see the monuments, uh, not from a, from a tourist standpoint of view, but to learn about the country. I love history. So I was actually learning about the United States when I was in Malaysia. But to come here and to really sort of stand right in front of the Lincoln Memorial, to be in the chambers of um, the Congressional Hall, the, the chambers of the Senate and, and Congress, um, to be in the White House, having the opportunity to, to tour the White House, it just changes the dynamic because there are not many countries in the world that just an average citizen have an opportunity to see how the mechanics work. We have a lot of stories in the book about that. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of stories Mm -hmm. from people Mm -hmm. who talk Mm -hmm. about their visits to Washington, D.C., visiting Mm -hmm. the various monuments. Um, It is true that we have tremendous things available to us for free in D.C. We have the Smithsonian. We have all the government buildings that that you're able to tour and even with all the security concerns now, you yeah, still can yeah. get into most of those places and see things. And we pay for them with our tax dollars, so we get to go and see right. them for free when we're there. Right. We also have stories right. in the book about things outside of Washington, such as our national parks, mm-hmm. which I think are celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. So we mm-hmm. have stories about our parks also. Uh, We have a lot of stories about things that I didn't even know about. For example, (laughs) I have been in the airports so many times all over the country, and I have to say I have never noticed a sign for the USO. But now that Mm -hmm. I've been Mm -hmm. made aware of the USO, I am sure that the next time I go into an airport, I'm going to spot a sign for a USO lounge. I didn't even realize that the USO has these lounges in hundreds of locations around the world 
for military service members and for their families mm-hmm. when they're traveling. They're free. Mm-hmm. They're great facilities. And by the way, they're not supported by government dollars. They're 100% supported by private donations. Yeah. So we have two yeah. stories about the USO in our book, and I was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. And I presume those are the things that, that you got out from working on these wonderful projects. These are the favorite parts of working on uh, the project. How about challenges? Do you have any challenges when you work on this book? I think the challenge I had was cutting down the number of stories about the military and 9-11 because we were Mm -hmm. inundated with fabulous stories about the military and 9-11. And we ended up with half the stories in the book being about Active active military, veterans, military families, and 9-11. Um, and it was interesting because coming from the New York area, 9-11 is still an open wound for us. I mean, we watched more than 20 funerals take place just in the town where Chicken Soup for the Soul is located. But I didn't yeah. know that the wounds were so open and raw for the rest of the country. You know, from people who didn't know anybody who was affected we're 2,000 miles away. But it it was really interesting to see how everybody is still talking about it as if it just happened. Yeah, yeah. I think you go through the the, the process. I know this much for me. I can still remember what I was doing when 9-11 happened. And I was sitting in my living room that morning. I called a friend, and we were working on a project. The first thing she told me is to Johnny, America just got attacked. Planes ran into the World Trade Center. And I said, you're kidding me. And I turned on the TV, and that's what happened. And my mind just sort of like went flat. Really, you know, you don't know what to think. That's it. It just sort of, from that moment, it just sort of went blank. And in reading the stories in the book, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves as citizens that, you know, the the thing that came to mind was at one time I heard someone saying, that's why America is known as home of the brave. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. And that clicked to me far more than anything else as far as, you know, land of the free, home of the brave. Because we're... Well, I remember, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I remember getting a phone call. I was doing errands. I was buying a mouth a mouth guard for my son um for whatever fall sport he was doing i guess mm-hmm. soccer or football i don't remember and mm-hmm. i got the phone call and i was standing outside the store and i thought what should i do should i go in and buy the mouth guard anyway he's still going to need it right like it was just, i didn't know what i think i ended up buying the mouth guard anyway but i didn't know what to do and then and then I yeah. drove to school and picked them up and took them home. And But I was just all day so worried about all the people I knew who worked in the World Trade Tower, waiting to find out well, which which ones died, you know, and yeah, waiting yeah. for the list. It was yeah. It was just terrifying because so many people from our town did work there mm-hmm. or were on the plane. We, had, we also had mm-hmm. people who were... Um, who land, who were on yeah. the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it was really something. Um, yeah, it was something. But I, I think that we have approached it in a very respectful and fascinating way in the book. Mm-hmm. We even have a story I'm very proud of from one of the air traffic controllers. And he talks in the book about what happened that day and how the air traffic controllers found out and what they did and how they had to... Mm-hmm. They had to radio the pilots of every plane that was up in the air, break the news mm-hmm. to them, and then help yeah. them land wherever they were. It was a monumental effort, landing thousands of planes across the country. Right, right. So, yeah, that right. was very interesting. And, again, that's something that, say, we, the average person, don't realize that at any given time we have several thousand planes that are up in the air. So this is not yeah. like just, you know, three planes out there that, gee, you know. Uh, yeah, it only was, three it was planes a huge effort. Yeah. Right, right. And the only country that can pull it off is us. That's the interesting part of it. I don't, look at it, that's I don't know. I don't know. I think there are many countries that have 
very efficient yeah. air traffic control system. So I wouldn't say yeah. that somebody else couldn't no, pull it true. off because I mean I yeah, fly all over true. all over the world and I go on <laughs> airlines from countries that are not yeah. considered to be as developed and they still have very nice airlines, you know, with Oh, yeah, I, yeah, it is yeah. true that's that true. a lot of them that's have true. American pilots. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So please tell us about the nine chapters covered in the book. Okay, so the first chapter is really fun. It's called The Red, White, and Blue, and it's all about the American flag, people flying the flag, people putting the flag up at great, you know, with great effort after disasters, um, just a, a lot of really cool stories about the flag. And then the next chapter is about how we are a nation of helping hands. And I don't know if most Americans realize that outside of basically the U.S. and Canada, and I think Canadians mm-hmm. are very, they share the same kind of culture that we have, mm-hmm. although everybody says they're even nicer, but in the rest of the world, there isn't this tradition of volunteerism that we have. Like, I was really surprised um, to find out that in France, mothers don't go and volunteer in the schools. In mm-hmm. most countries, it's, it, no, it, mothers wouldn't go and, you know, do lunch lunch table duty and stuff like that, which we all yeah. do that kind of thing. And then I have another chapter that's called Our Vast and Beautiful Land. And I have that chapter because we are a huge country with such varied climate, geography, people, traditions, food, and so we have, I have, like, the first story in that chapter is by Dean Carnassus, and he's talking about running a marathon in every single state mm-hmm. in the nation and the differences he found. Then I have a whole chapter about our uniformed heroes, and that chapter is about our military, our veterans, and our first responders, such as EMTs, police, paramedics, firefighters. And then I have another chapter that's called one people united, and that is about our unity and our diversity and our tolerance and compassion and respect for each other, because that mm-hmm. is what we all, that's what most of us still do, despite what any particular politicians are saying about promoting <laughs> a lack of tolerance. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we have another chapter of, that I call that American can-do attitude, and that's about how entrepreneurial we are how dynamic we are when we're presented with a problem, how we look for solutions. We don't give up and accept. We don't accept what we're handed. We try to make it better. We are definitely the land of opportunity. Then we have another chapter all about our proud new citizens. And then we have a chapter about American traditions, baseball, apple pie, um, casseroles, bringing casseroles to people when they need, like, you're, you have trouble, we bring you a casserole. You know, and that's not something that happens everywhere. Um, and then finally, I have a chapter called Seeing America from Abroad, which is about Americans going abroad, living abroad, and gaining a new perspective on our country, but also about what foreigners say about America, what how they view us from abroad. So it's really fascinating, this book, and um it was a huge undertaking to put it together. It's so varied, but so much fun to to present this diverse group of stories. It's it's really an, an amazing collection about our country. It's wonderful. Every single one in the, the stories are just unique on its own. There's no doubt about that. And the fact that I have never found a particular book that I could sort of relate. And don't forget now, I'm looking at it from an outsider, I guess, in a way, because being someone that came here to the United States to go to college and then eventually became a naturalized citizen. And the stories that they were in the book, and as usual, we have always talked about several stories in the book uh, uh, further down uh, the show here. And the stories that I chose to talk about today, I have sort of personally experienced it myself in sort of a different way. And so I really enjoyed this book very much from that perspective. Has the book impacted you personally? I think it just um, increased my level of patriotism and mm-hmm. just made me focus even more on what my values are and what values I think we have in America. And um mm-hmm how I would like to be represented and, you know, what 
what really matters to people because when I get thousands of submissions for a book, I see what people are thinking. You know, right. and and I I reflect back to our readers what what the public has given to us because our books are crowdsourced. We open up the submission process mm-hmm. to everybody and then we see what we get and then we reflect back what we've gotten. And what we got was a book about respect, tolerance, compassion, kindness, bravery, courage, um, and pride. And pride in doing our very best at all times. So it made me proud. It made me feel even more grateful that I was born here. That's wonderful. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading this wonderful book? I think that after reading Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Spirit of America, readers are going to stand a little taller and they're going to feel a little prouder and luckier to be American. Wonderful. So we talked about the different stories. I'm excited to dive into them. And these are, again, stories that are just wonderful. And believe it or not, they're other stories that are just phenomenal that will connect with anyone who reads the book, I think. In so many ways, I think people will find things that they can relate to. And I've chosen this particular source because it relates to me in some ways. The very first story that I chose is from Chapter 1, The Red, White, and Blue, like you were talking about. It's just kind of fun thing. Flying the Perfect Flag by Josephine Fitzpatrick. You know, I love this story so much that I talked about it um, on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast that I recorded for Flag Day because I thought that it was such a great story. So Josephine wanted to buy a new American flag, and she was trying really hard to find one that was high quality and that was made in America. And she looked everywhere. She finally found one, and she was standing in line to pay for it. And the man behind her in a very long line said, I want to pay for your flag. And she thought, what is this? This is weird. Like, is this guy coming on to me? Like, is this a scam? Why would this guy want to pay for my flag? And she said, no, I'll pay for it myself. And then finally he said, look, I'm a veteran of the first Iraq war, and it makes me so happy to see someone flying the American flag that it would mean a lot to me if you would allow me to pay for your flag. And then she said, oh, I get it now. And and she told him that she's from a military family also, her husband, um, her father, um, her brothers. One of her brothers was killed in the Vietnam War, and so she thanked him and was you know, thrilled to have this veteran, mm-hmm. this proud veteran, pay for her flag. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. It, the first thing that grabbed me with this story is it reminded me of my late foster father in Papa Bluff, Missouri, Ben Wisdom. Ben was with the, uh, I believe it was the Third Army, uh, with uh, Patton's Army in World War II. And when I first got to his house, this was back in 1980, uh, when I first met him, and he has a flag flying in his yard. And as I had a chance to get to know him better, and went around with him to meet with his fellow veterans, there's a different sort of camaraderie that was formed and forged by uh, the the various army people. And what interestingly happened from that was the fact that me being from Malaysia, from uh, at that time was Malaya, we ended up sharing war stories. And I'm sharing war stories based on what my dad told me about the Japanese invasion of uh, of Malaysia, and they were very excited because they wanted to know what happens in the Pacific. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. wanted to know things that happen in Europe because I love history. And that was my first introduction to the American flag and the meaning of it and how proud these uh, veterans were. And also that generation, like uh, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, you know, they are the greatest generation that really forged mm-hmm. the world in a different direction Uh, for the last 50-plus years or so. Yeah, so Beth Cato, I know you want to talk about the Soul of Mm -hmm. Independence Day, which is the third story. She comes from a military family. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. because in another book that we have, she talks about how she 
recited the Pledge of Allegiance every morning when she was in middle school, mm-hmm. even though the other girls didn't do it. And they thought that she was, you know, a dork to be reciting it, but right, it really right. meant a lot to her. And in, in this book, the Spirit of America book, um, she talks about her son, Nicholas. Now, her son, Nicholas, is on the autism spectrum, and he hates noise. And so Independence Day was a, a real challenge for them. And she talks about how Nicholas came around to liking Independence Day and also really understanding the deeper meaning of it because Independence Day is not only about our country, yeah. but it's about family because it's a really, really big family holiday, and especially yeah. in best family, a military family. And so she talks about how her son came to love flying the flag, celebrating Independence Day, and being with family on that day. So it was a different way of looking at the 4th of July, and I'm glad you asked me about it since yeah. we're heading into yeah. 4th of July weekend. So true. And that story reminded me when I was in D.C. for one of the 4th of July weekend celebrations this was years ago. And as I mentioned, I love history. It so happens at that time, Ken Burns had his uh, story, uh, the independence, I think it's about the Civil War and uh, one of the shows was about the Battle of Gettysburg. And in that story, it talks about cannons who were being shot all day long from one side to the other side and all that. And, of course, that was the major, uh, the, 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 the worst casualty, I think, both sides of the equation had suffered. You can read about things and you watch it on TV. You just don't realize the magnitude of the, the whole thing, I guess, you know, the, the, the sound and, and, and so forth. Well, here at the end of the, the, uh, the celebration of 4th of July, that evening, of course, you have this major national fireworks, and I had the opportunity to sit on the ground across from the reflection pool right across where the uh, uh, Lincoln Monument is. They were starting to fire up the fireworks, and believe it or not, the shock wave from the fireworks, it's it's beautiful and it's scary at the same time. The ground shook, and you can feel the shockwave. And I, I was sitting close enough to whereby it sort of like went through you. Boom, boom. And you have, of course, this fireworks about to fall onto your head, and it just disappears. But it reminded me then, you know, we read about wars, we talk about things, but we're not in there, so we really don't know the magnitude. And I'm looking back and I'm imagining these people were putting up with this all day long for three straight, three straight days, and it just made a different impact in my life. My dad was telling me when the Japanese bomb Malacca, uh, the, the planes came in, flying solo, dropping bombs, and so forth. You, you know, you hear the story, but you can't relate to it. And I wish, of course, everybody looked at things differently, and I'm sort of a look at things differently, and that's how I took it. And, and so it has a special meaning to me. Well, I can understand that, definitely. I guess probably the whole idea of making these boom sounds but turning it into a celebration is a way of taking uh, the sounds of war and redefining them for a pleasant family experience as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, it's just a different take for me, I mean, personally, and that's what I relate to it. And it's like uh, it's a sense of appreciation and a sense of, wow, what these people went through for values, for the things that they believe in their life so that we can move forward. Uh, It's a sort of uh, civilization evolution for the civilization, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the next story is from the second chapter, A Nation of Helping Hands. I love this chapter. The very first story, story that I chose is When Heart Comes Together by Elizabeth Atwater. So you picked another one of my favorite stories, and I did a podcast about this story also on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And this is such a heartwarming story. Um, Elizabeth Atwater, um, who lives in North Carolina, but I'm not sure where this happened, she was on a, on a highway that completely shut down. You know when it just shuts down mm-hmm. and you're standing outside your car and you know there's been an accident and you're going to be there for a long time? Mm-hmm. Well, there mm-hmm. was a young woman with a baby in a car near hers, and this young woman was on the verge of tears, and she explained to Elizabeth that her husband was a soldier, and he was coming home from a deployment, 
he was going to touch down in the airport in about half an hour, and it was going to be her only chance to see him before he was taken away for some period of days for for a debriefing. And he had never seen this new baby. And she was going to miss her chance to see him. Well, a truck driver was standing nearby, also you know, out of his vehicle, and he heard this. And then he saw a traffic helicopter up in the sky coming to check out whatever had stopped them on the highway. And he went, he went back to his truck. He got his cell phone, and he called the station that the, the traffic helicopter was mm-hmm. serving, and he forced them to let him speak to the station manager. And he talked to the station manager, and he said, Buddy, you're going to use that traffic helicopter and take this young military bride to the airport. So the traffic helicopter sat down nearby. Um, They got the young lady's car off to the side of the highway for her. A man gave her his business card and said, when you're done at the airport, call me. I'll come and pick you up and I'll drive you back here to pick up your car. And they got her off to the airport on time to see her husband in this traffic helicopter. It was just such a wonderful story, great example of American ingenuity and kindness and unity and people working together. So true. I mean, when I read that story, it's like we the people. And believe it or not, I mean, I know maybe some of the countries, people will take the effort to do all this, but it's not so much that we the people want to do this, but does everybody else want to cooperate with you? And so now when you have a situation like this where people, individuals, are empowered to make decisions for us as we, the people, and that's what I got from the story. Yeah, and the whole chapter is about that. I know you also identified another great story in the chapter for us to talk about called 1,000 Heroes. And in this story, Michelle Bruce tells us that, amazingly, she and her husband and one of their four kids all had cancer. And they decided to move back to their small town in Nebraska so that they could be supported by their families. And their son needed a certain life-saving cancer surgery back in Boston, and they needed to raise a lot of money in order to get him back there because the insurance wouldn't pay for it. And their community rallied together, this tiny town, and actually raised enough money for this miracle to happen. And so that was another great example Mm -hmm. of Americans coming together to help each other. Right, right. It's just a beautiful story. The next chapter is Our Vast and Beautiful Land, and I love this chapter as well. The story I picked from this chapter is Trucking Across the USA by Connie Pollan. (laughs) So this is a funny story because (laughs) Connie's husband was a truck driver and so she headed out with him to go on, you know, one of his trips. And they were going through Washington, D.C., and she said, oh, come on, I want to see the White House. Honey, stop the truck. So he said, I can't just park in the middle of the street. And she said, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Just do it. So he stopped. She leapt out of the truck, and she started taking pictures of the White House. And the police came over, and they said, You're, you can't stop your truck in the middle of the street in front of the White House. And the truck driver said, I'm so sorry, officer, but my wife insisted on getting a picture of the White House. And the police officer shook his head as if he understood wives and then said they had to leave the area immediately because trucks were never allowed to stop in front of the White House. But he didn't give them a ticket. Nothing bad happened. And so she got back in the truck, and they continued on their way um, to the – U.S. Navy base in Coronado, California, which was where they were going with this truckload. Mm -hmm. And they were horrified when the uh, cargo was unloaded from their truck. They didn't know what they were carrying in the truck because he had just gone and picked up, you know, the trailer already (laughs) loaded. And guess what they had had in their truck when they parked in front of the White House and were, were, you know, were stopped by Mm -hmm. the police? Two gigantic torpedoes. So I just thought it was really funny. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. And what I like about it, and the the title just caught my eye, Trucking Across the USA. When I first came to the United States, I had the opportunity to work with my 
foster father, he was in the fireworks industry. And actually, this is the time, the business time for us. We would be going up and down in the Midwest and drive and deliver fireworks because he was the fireworks uh, distributor and all the many places that we would go, and we have to do it on the road. So I love it. I, I saw the prairies for the first time, driving through Indiana, Illinois, all the different places. And my foster mom was worried as heck for us because uh, after this was after the first trip when I came back with my foster father, and she was saying, I'm glad. Uh, how was the driving? And I said, well, it was good. It was all right. I had a great time seeing all the different places, took pictures and whatnot. He says, I would never go on the road with man. He drives like crazy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, gee, thanks for letting me know. And he said, but on the other hand, I'm glad that you are following him because I don't want him to be alone on the road. So we had a good time, and that story sort of connects with me from that standpoint of view. Hey, you can just get in the truck or in the car or in the van and just drive around and enjoy this beautiful country. It has so much to offer. Yeah, and you can't do that everywhere. I was so right. surprised when right. I was in Mexico and you had to go through like an armed border crossing to go from one Mexican mm-hmm. state to another. And same thing in yeah. Chile, armed yeah. guards yeah. as you cross from yeah. one state into another. And here we have such freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a beautiful story. And I said, wow, it just, again, it rekindled stories from way back in 1980, 81, 82, so it was just wonderful for me. The next chapter is American Heroes, and the title of the story is Heroes in Plain Clothes by Renee McLaughlin. So Renee was a tour guide at Gettysburg, and, um, and she gave tours to all kinds of visitors. And one time she was asked to give a tour to a Medal of Honor recipient named Dolby, but he looked like a homeless man. I mean, he was a mess. He was wearing raggedy old clothes. He had a cane. He had struggled out of this old pickup truck. He was wearing flip-flops. I mean, he really looked terrible, but sure enough, from his neck hung the Medal of Honor. And so she took him around Gettysburg, giving him the tour, and it just so happened that while they were on the tour, they ran across Brigadier General Harold Nelson, a West Point graduate who had served in Vietnam too, which was where this homeless-looking man, Dolby, had served. And when the Brigadier General saw that Medal of Honor, he you know, immediately straightened up, you know, saluted the Medal of Honor recipient mm-hmm. and showed him all of the regard that you would give to a Medal of Honor recipient. And I just thought that was really heartwarming and a reminder that our veterans take many different forms, and you can't assume when you see somebody that he wasn't a great hero for our country. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. This story, again, reminded me of the time I spent with my foster father. One of the things that we had a chance going across the country, well, in the Midwest, is to run into all his army buddies and different places, all the veterans uh, getting together and so forth. And the uniqueness, the camaraderie that, that brought people together, there's a certain standard of, like, I've been there, I know what we went through. And the beauty of it, I guess they don't talk a lot about it to the outside world. And you have to be plugged in to be able to really get to know all these individuals. So this story brought back to me the heroes that sometimes we don't look at and me having the opportunity to be involved in that conversations and having them telling the stories. I mean, it was like a dream come true for me just sitting there because I love history, so I'm sitting there and absorbing all these wonderful stories. That makes sense. I mean, it's yeah. this is the kind of book where you can just go from one story after another that will bring up mm-hmm. memories Um it's very emotional reading these, these yeah, stories yeah. about America because it's something that we all have in common. We are all emotional about our country and all of these different aspects of it. Yeah, yeah, so true. Chapter 5 is One People United. And the story that I chose for this from this chapter is A Ship in the Harbor by Karen Howard. So this this chapter is all about how diverse we are as a country, 
but how, in the end, we are one people, united, because this book is about what unites us, not what divides us. And what I love about this story is that Karen Howard cites my absolute favorite quote, which is, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for, right? I love that quote. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the fact that she grew up in very white Orange County, California, in the 1960s. Um, But she went ahead and married an African-American man, and they have a very diverse group of friends and live a, a very diverse life. And she just talks about the fact that even though she was raised in the 60s and he was raised in the 60s and he was raised in Jackson, Mississippi, and she was raised in Orange County, they overcame those rather non-diverse backgrounds to marry each other and have a diverse group of friends and how nice it is to get together with friends of all different colors and all different religions as well. Right, right. And that's what I like about that story. I thought that comes back to us again, the diversity that we have. And in the end, we are all together as one, as a nation that is so diverse. There's no other country in the world out there and people don't realize that that has that diversity that America has. And the fact that all of us are here for a common goal, we want to be free. We want to be able to, within certain contexts, I guess, you know, be able to do what we want to do. We are, allowed, we are free to think, to act, and to, to really pursue the desires in our hearts, and from a family perspective, all the parents in the world wants their kids to succeed. That's it. That's in the in the end. That's the that's the common goal. And no place else in the world that I've been to to whereby that they allow or uh, there is an opportunity for people to just succeed based on your your sheer effort that you want to succeed. Well, you can succeed. It's a land of opportunity. Definitely, and part of that is because we celebrate in our country ingenuity and a can-do attitude, um, mm-hmm. and we we reward people based on merit, and we promote people, and they attain higher levels of a standard of living, et cetera, based on hard work and merit. And in other countries, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes, right. what you're right. the the strata that you're born to is where you stay. Precisely. Precisely. And the the very next chapter, it's a beautiful chapter. I love this chapter. The America Can Do Attitude. And the story that I chose is Made in America by Janine Jacobson. So Jeannie talks about how she um, kept getting these really bad can openers that were just, (laughs) you know, garbage. Um, You know, we we call it like, you know, junk made in China. And there's plenty of good stuff made in China, but then often there's bad stuff made in China also. And she just kept searching and searching for a can opener made in the U.S. so that it would actually be good, you know, and like be solid and and work well and last. Uh, And I like that story a lot for that reason. And also would like to point out that our books have always been 100% made in the U.S.A., the paper is made here from American mm-hmm. trees. The ink is made in the U.S. The printing is done in the U.S. The layout, everything is done in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We we print our covers in New York State and in Virginia. We print our interiors in Virginia. Um, we do our layout in Connecticut. You know, we're we're made mm-hmm. all over the East Coast. <laughs> it's a it's a 100% American product made in union shops. Um, mm-hmm, at various mm-hmm. printers. So, you know, we are mm-hmm. all American in how we create our own product. I love the story for a couple of reasons. Number one, we talk about the can opener. You know, my mom made me buy can openers from the United States to bring home. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, that is funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the one thing says, because she lived with me. Whenever she comes, she will stay with me for about six months or so, right? So obviously she works in the kitchen, so she knows what's good and what's not good and so forth. <laughs> so one of the things that she loves, she said, I love this can opener. The ones we have at home that comes from Asia is, you know, it's flimsy. <laughs> so I ended up having to get her the can openers 
from the United States. And that's really funny about as far as that goes with the can opener. And the other thing that reminded me of is Made in America. To this day, I'm actually carrying and using my dad's, my Malaysian dad, my dad's wallet. And at the time, this was back, I guess, in the 70s, we buy products from made in USA. And you want to have products made in USA, the quality of the, the leather, the quality of the stitches and whatnot and so forth. So my dad used the wallet for a very long time. And when he passed, uh, my mom saved that wallet for me. So it's really funny. I mean, to this day, I'm actually using my dad's wallet. And you can see, thankfully, there's a little print right there that says made in USA. And I'm I can assure you there's not many wallets if you can find any that's made in USA now. That's great. Yeah, so it's really very, very interesting from that perspective. The next uh, chapter is Our Proud New Citizens, Giving Kids the World by Pamela Lentworth. So part of this book was um, Mm -hmm. me learning about Nonprofits and what they do, for example, I mentioned the USO and how I didn't even realize that what the USO Mm -hmm. did and that it was privately funded. So here's another one that I didn't know about. I didn't know about this organization called um, Give Kids the World. And Mm -hmm. Give Kids the World is actually the organization that provides all of those Disney World vacations and those universal Mm -hmm. vacations, those Bush Gardens, SeaWorld Vacations in Florida, they're the ones when the Make-A-Wish and all the other groups get together and find a kid somewhere in the country and say, okay, you want to go to Disney World, we're going to take you. <laughs> the kid goes to the Give Kids the World Village. That's where they stay, and that's where they're housed, and that's the organization that has set up the whole visit to Disney World for them and their families. And Give Kids the World was actually started by an immigrant um, mm-hmm. and a, a man named Henry Landworth, who was a World War II refugee and came to this country and was filled with love for the country that took him in and wanted to give back. I mean, this is a man who has a tattoo on his forearm, a tattoo <laughs> from the Nazis, and he's giving back to this yeah, country that yeah. helped him. And he yeah. is hosting all of these kids who who have these, um, they're not always last-wish vacations because many of these kids are not dying. They're just extremely ill. So yeah, just these, right, right. but they're, they're still the very ill wish vacations. And it's Give Kids the World that is behind that. Yeah. It's a beautiful story, and that's why I chose that particular story from that perspective. The next one is really fun. American Traditions, and the story that I chose is summoned to court by Susan Mathis. Susan was reluctant to do jury duty, and she was determined to get out of it once again when she was called. But she ended up serving, and she loved it, and it caused her to develop a real respect for our judicial system and all the players, the judges, the clerks, the lawyers, Mm -hmm. everybody who participates in our judicial system. And And I thought that was a very nice message because we also had stories about people, you know, really valuing their right mm-hmm. to vote and dressing up to go and vote, mm-hmm. taking the responsibility very seriously. And these these are two things, jury duty and voting, <laughs> that some people ignore and other people really value. And so I, I thought that was a good message to include in our book. It is. When I read that story, it reminded me of the moment I got my uh, naturalized citizen papers. Within months, I think, I was... Uh, I got a notification to serve on the jury. And like everybody else, I guess I'm Americanized. Oh, my gosh, I got to do this and so forth. But when I went, I had a change of heart in terms of like, well, let's go through the process once and let's see how it works. And it was wonderful. I ended up being chosen as the the jury foreman. And that was kind of (laughs) cool. And so I enjoyed that. And so that's why I chose the story. The uh, next chapter is Seeing America from Abroad, Rediscovering America by Joan Bailey. Yeah, so I mentioned we had a whole chapter about American citizens living abroad and gaining a new perspective on our country, and also foreigners. And Joan is an example of an American citizen. She was living in Japan, 
and she was loving Japan, and she started focusing on what was negative about America instead of what was positive. Because living in Japan, she developed an appreciation for doing things smaller, you know, living in a smaller space, having fewer possessions, mm-hmm. having a less luxurious life. And she started focusing on what some people might think of as a negative. Oh, Americans have so much, they don't appreciate it, you know, they're wasting resources, etc. But then she started teaching English to her Japanese students, and she started reading what her Japanese students were writing about America and why they loved America and why they wanted to come to America. And all of a sudden, she learned to love America again by seeing it through the eyes of her Japanese students. It's a beautiful story. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you spent some time in Brazil, correct? And people may not realize that you speak Portuguese very well. Well, I, I did spend I spent a lot of time in Brazil. I lived there for several months when I was in college. I've traveled all over the world. I don't know how many countries, but I, I counted it up. It's more than 40 countries. <laughs> Um, and a lot of them third-world countries. I've been to an awful lot of third-world countries. And I wrote about that in my own story in the book Mm -hmm. because it really makes you develop an appreciation when you go to these other countries and you realize how lucky we are. And I I talked in my story about being in Peru and looking at how the people there lived and how they were happy and healthy and well-fed but walking miles to go to school every morning mm-hmm. and not having any of the modern conveniences that we think are absolutely essential, such as you know, indoor plumbing, air conditioning, mm-hmm. dishwashers, microwave ovens, things like that. <laughs> and how, as a result of doing all that traveling in third-world countries, I have such an appreciation for the luxuries that we have. And, and I'm not kidding when I say that every morning <laughs> when I'm in my shower, I think about the fact that I have as much hot running water as I want. I have clean towels waiting for me when I get out of the shower. I have this nice bathroom all to myself. And I think about how lucky I am and how unusual it is uh, when you look at how the entire world lives. We have an unbelievable standard of living, and we're very, very fortunate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so true. It's it's sometimes – I just came back from Malaysia. Visiting my sister uh, last uh, earlier this month, as a matter of fact, and it's interesting because after a certain period of time, then I really felt like, well, I need to get back to uh, to the United States because I'm missing all the things that, that that I could have over here. And part of it, like you were talking about, having hot showers and those kind of things, and you know, it, it, sometimes things that we take for granted in so many ways. So it makes a big difference. What are some of your favorite stories from the book? There's one I, I just really love, and when I tell this story to people in at length, I mean, I won't do that here because we have limited time, but people <laughs> actually get all teary-eyed. And the story was written by Barbara LaMonaco, who is our um, senior editor, and mm-hmm. she talks about going to Mount Rushmore on July 4th, a couple of years after 9-11, and how they were standing on the observation deck looking out at those presidents carved into the mountain, and everybody was wearing red, white, and blue. And spontaneously, the whole crowd started singing, God Bless America. And it was just so moving to see all these people dressed in red, white, and blue singing together, you know, from all over the country, singing together and honoring our country. And I thought that was an incredible story, and what a mental image. Yes, so true. It's very powerful from that perspective, and uh, I'm so glad that the story is in the book. There are so many other wonderful, wonderful stories in the book, and I know that it will really connect to just about whoever buys this book. There's got to be a story there that you can relate to, like me. It rekindles old memories and so forth. What else can we expect from Chicken Soup this summer? Uh, our next book is not coming out till the end of August. We wanted really, we wanted this Chicken Soup for the Soul, the Spirit of America book, to have the whole summer for itself, you know, because we thought it was so important. So the next book is called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Gratitude. It's coming out in August. And then the next book after that is one I'm finishing up right now called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Maverick with a Mission. And it's 
my personal book, instead of being a collection of 101 mm-hmm. stories by other people, the whole book is me. It's all written by me, which is a new thing for me to write an entire book for, <laughs> you know, myself from scratch instead of editing other people's work. And it's really going to be a crash course in Chicken Soup for the Soul Wisdom with a lot of helpful tips, easy-to-implement advice about things that you can do to make yourself happier. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, we're almost out of time. What wonderful recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning? Well, I have some great tips that I came up with as a result of creating this book because somehow every time I create one of our books, I come up with five tips that really mean something to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think since we're talking about America so much, let's talk about five tips to help you revive your patriotism. Um, And so the first is to focus on the red, white, and blue. Maybe get a new flag. Put it up. It never ceases to stir stir my pride. It's not just a collection of fabric stitched together. Those 13 stripes and those 50 stars – really mean something about our history and they show this country that was put together over you know hundreds of years one star at a time we created this united states of america um another thing i i would say is to remember that american can do attitude that you can make things happen that you don't have to accept no as an answer you can use that american ingenuity and you can make things happen for yourself and your family Another another tip is to move about our nation. Drive around this summer. Gas is fairly cheap. Fine. You know, explore our country. Appre- appreciate its size and its hospitality and accept hospitality wherever you go. And think about how you drive hundreds of miles and you see the soil is different. You might see orange soil someplace filled with, you know, clay and you came from a place where the soil was sandier or darker, but the but everything still grows, and we plant our flowers in that soil wherever we go. Um, another tip for life is to remember how lucky you are, whether you were born in the U.S., whether you have come here as an immigrant and you're now part of the U.S., and, of course, if you're listening in Canada, this really holds true for Canadians, just the same as Americans, Mm-hmm. But think about how lucky you are to have been born here in North America or to be naturalized here in North America with our incredible standard of living, our openness, our vast territory that we can move about freely, our freedom of speech, freedom of religion, etc. And then finally, to remember that we are a nation of very kind people who want to help each other, and you can reach out and help other people, but you can also accept help from other people, know that they're giving it freely. And one of the things I find in Chicken Soup for the Soul Stories all the time is people saying, I had to learn to accept help, that when people offered it, they really meant it. When people right. offer you help in the United States of America, they really mean it. And by help, by accepting their help, you're helping them too. You're allowing them to feel good about helping you. And so we really are a nation of kind people who want to help each other. So, too, I believe in that. Those are wonderful, wonderful and inspiring recipes for living. And, again, these are the things that you will get from reading this wonderful book. And I really hope that Chicken Soup will sell tons of this book during this 4th of July. Certainly, I know we need it, especially in the current political situation right now where we tend to be a little bit more divisive and so forth. I think this book will really remind us what America is all about who we are, what we stand for, and what we can build going forward in terms of the diversity that we have in the United States. Amy, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, thank you for being with us. Please join me next Tuesday morning. Marie Jagopoulos, an intuitive counselor, healer, and spiritual mentor, will be here to do her Healing Wisdom Radio Hour. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening, and have an awesome 4th of July. Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a wonderful 4th of July to you and your loved ones. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.